Philippians chapter 4. Grab a Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We are continuing with our Advent sermon series this morning. And as we heard from the scripture reading at the beginning of the service, this week is focused on peace. And so let's start by just asking a real simple question. What is peace? When we use that word today, it's real simple. It just means something that means two people are not at war. It means two nations are not at war. It means the absence of hostility. But the biblical concept of peace, it shouldn't surprise you, is a whole lot more rich than that. If you don't know a lick of Hebrew, there's one Hebrew word I guarantee that you probably know. That's the word shalom, right? The word shalom, yes, it can be translated by peace, but it's much more rich than what we mean by peace. Shalom is holistic. It is comprehensive. It refers to a sense of wellness, harmony, fulfillment in every area of life. So shalom, it's not just the absence of hostility, but it is the presence of joy. And shalom is often in the scriptures associated with the presence of God. So you guys probably know the famous benediction from Numbers chapter six, don't you? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace and give you shalom. We actually quote that to our daughters before bed every night. Hannah doesn't know the whole thing, but she knows the last three words. So she'll get to the end of it and she'll just blurt out, give you peace. And ultimately, that's what we're praying for. That's what we're asking for, for God's shalom, God's wellness, God's harmony in our lives. That sounds great, doesn't it? But we live in a broken, messed up, sinful, chaotic world. And when we look around us, it seems like anything but shalom, doesn't it? Right, when we turn on the news, do we see God's shalom all across the world today? Or do we see more often warfare? Do when we look at our own nation, do we see God's shalom or do we see infighting? But our families are a lot better, right? We don't have any of that in our families. No, man, we just got done with Thanksgiving. We see our families at Thanksgiving around the holidays and we see family members that aren't speaking and there's tension and there's disagreement in our families and we want more shalom in our families. But what about, and this is first and foremost for this sermon, in our hearts. When we look in our own hearts, do we more often than not get a sense of God's shalom, God's peace, God's harmony in our hearts? Or when we look inward, do we more often see anger, bitterness, stress, worry, anxiety, greed, whatever else it might be. We live in a sinful, broken, messed up world. And what we desperately need is God's shalom, God's peace. But how are we supposed to get there? How can we experience God's peace in a world that is broken? Well, church, we saw last week that Christmas is all about hope. Christmas was founded in hope when our Savior came the first time to pay for our sins. And we are now living with the hope that one day he's going to come again and he's going to make all things new. But this morning, I want to show you that Christmas is also all about peace. Christmas is about the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, who was born into this world to, yes, one day bring peace on earth, but even here and now to bring us the peace of God that surpasses understanding and guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We live in a world that is desperately searching for peace, but it's looking in all the wrong places. 
The only way to find peace is through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to see this morning from this text. So I want us to look at Philippians chapter four to see how we can enjoy God's peace in our lives. And this morning, this is what I hope to show you. We have peace with God through Christ, and we are invited to enjoy the peace of God through fellowship with him. With this in mind, church, let's read these verses together. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. The word of God says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how desperately we need to take to heart the words of this passage. Lord, how badly I need this passage. Lord, you've been working in my own heart, the teaching of this text all week, preparing me for this sermon. Lord, how badly we need your peace. Lord, we can't make peace on our own. We can't create it in our own hearts. Lord, it is a gift from your hand a blessing from you. Lord, we need this passage. Would you take this truth, help us to understand it in our minds, to believe it in our hearts so that it would transform the way that we live, that we might bring honor and glory to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we need you. Help us to understand this and apply it to our lives today by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, we're going to talk about, mainly from verse 7, the peace of God that surpasses understanding. But before we can get there, there's something else that we need to understand. There's a foundation that we need to build on. And here's the deal. Before you can enjoy the peace of God, you need to be at peace with God. Let me say that again. Before you can enjoy the peace of God, you need to be at peace with God. What's the difference? Well, the peace of God that we're talking about this morning is a blessing. It is a gift that God himself gives to his people. But peace with God is a status. It is a position. And it is something that all of us desperately need. And it only comes through Christ. Romans 5.1 puts it this way. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having been justified by faith. What does that mean? Well, that little phrase summarizes the entire gospel. The gospel is the good news that there is a holy God who made us in his image to live for his glory and to be in relationship with him. But we have all sinned against God. We have rebelled against God. And because of that, our natural state in our sin is not peace with God. Our natural state is to be at war with God. In fact, scripture says that apart from Christ, we are God's enemies. We are rebels against the king of kings. And we need more than anything else to be reconciled to God, to have friendship restored to God, to have the hostility and the alienation removed that we can have peace with God. That's where Jesus comes in. Because Jesus Christ, who is God, 
was born into this world, born of a virgin, fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect life that we never could have lived. He died on the cross, bearing our sin in our place. He rose from the dead three days later so that now when we turn from our sin, we put our faith in Jesus, as it says in Romans 5.1, we are justified by faith. That is, we are declared to be righteous in the courtroom of heaven, that all of our sins are forgiven, that we are clean, that we are righteous in Christ. That's what it means to be justified. We are justified by faith. And when that happens, we now have peace with God. There's no more hostility. There's no more condemnation. Through Christ, we have peace with God. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, let me first ask you this. Do you think about your relationship to God in these terms? Do you understand the reality that the scriptures teach us? That apart from Christ, we are at war with our creator. That sin, it's not just a bad habit. It's not just something to be winked at and swept under the rug, but sin is rebellion against our creator. And also, do you understand the amazing good news of the gospel? What Jesus has done that we can be at peace with God. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, this is the exhortation. Lay down your arms, surrender to King Jesus, and you will be at peace with God. Enjoy peace with God so that you can enjoy the peace of God. Building on this gospel foundation, now we're ready to go to Philippians chapter four because this passage is for believers. It's for people who have peace with God. When we, have, when we are at peace with God, we can now enjoy the peace of God. So now let's take a look at Philippians chapter four. Now, just to give you a quick overview of the book of Philippians as a whole, it's a short letter, uh, four chapters, but he's coming to the end of the letter in chapter four. And as Paul typically does, when he comes to the end of a letter, he typically gives almost like machine gun style, rapid fire, practical exhortations for the church on how they are to live out the theology that he has unpacked earlier in the letter. And he begins with verse four with a command to be joyful, to be joyful. Verse four says, rejoice in the Lord always. And in just in case you missed it, again, I will say rejoice. You know, in those days, they didn't have caps lock. Uh, they didn't have bold and italics and underline and all that stuff. If you wanted to emphasize something, what'd you do? You repeated it. So he's saying, this is really important. I want you to get this, rejoice. In fact, and this short little four-chapter letter of Philippians, forms of the word joy or rejoice are used 16 times. Do you think Paul cared about this church rejoicing in the Lord? And that's even more fascinating when you consider the setting because Bible trivia time. Where did Paul write Philippians from? Anybody? Jail. <laughs> he was in prison when he wrote this. Probably would have been chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And yet his primary concern here is their joy. Rejoice in the Lord. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, first of all, it's a command, not a suggestion. He's commanding them to rejoice in the Lord. To rejoice means to intentionally fix our minds and our hearts on who God is and to choose to praise him, to fight for joy in the Lord. That leads to an emotional response, but it's not primarily about the emotions. We can choose to rejoice in the Lord even when things are not going well. Paul himself said in 2 Corinthians that he's sorrowful yet always rejoicing. This is about a disposition, a choice of the mind and the heart to choose to find our joy. But where do we pursue our joy? He says rejoice in the Lord. 
Don't just rejoice in our circumstances, in our relationships. No, rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in Christ and what he's done for you. And when do we do it? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. This is something that we should constantly and intentionally pursue. So let's now hold up the mirror of God's word to ourselves this morning and ask ourselves the question, am I doing this? Am I rejoicing in the Lord always? If not, what's holding me back? What's holding me back? Let's seek as followers of Jesus to be joyful. But next, as verse five says, to be reasonable. Verse five begins by saying, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The word translated as reasonableness is translated in other translations as uh, gentleness or graciousness or being considerate. The idea here is a person who seeks to get along with other people, a person who is gracious and gentle, a person who is kind and humble, rather than someone who demands their own way, rather than someone who's always looking for a fight. And I also love the way he words it. He says, let it be known to everyone. In other words, have a reputation for this. Be the kind of person that other people look at and go, that's a kind, gracious, gentle, humble person. And here's why this matters for a sermon on peace. You can't enjoy the peace of God if you're constantly fighting with other people. <laughs> right? There's a relational dimension here. He's saying if you're an unreasonable person who's always arguing with other people or always demanding your own way, you're not going to enjoy a lot of shalom. So how do we get there? What does this look like for us? Here's the deal. I'm not going to ask you if you think you're a reasonable person because you probably do. Here's the better question. Do the people closest to you think of you as a reasonable person? Your wife, your kids, your husband, your best friend, your small group members, your coworkers. If they were asked about you, would they describe you as, man, they are humble, kind, gracious, considerate? Or would they say, yeah, well, you know what? They're kind of demanding, harsh, overly opinionated, got to have their way abrasive, arrogant, whatever it is. Listen, y'all, there's nothing virtuous about being a bull in a china shop. I'm just saying there's nothing virtuous about being a bull in a china shop. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and our example, how did he describe himself in Matthew chapter 11? He said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. That doesn't mean we never speak the truth. Of course we do but it means that we do it in a way that is gentle, that is kind, that is considerate. Here's some questions we ought to ask ourselves this morning. Are other people comfortable opening up to me? Am I approachable? Or do other people feel like they have to walk on eggshells around me? If that's the case, this is an exhortation we need to take to heart. We need to be gentle and gracious and considerate. That goes a long way to being at peace with other people. And how do we get there? It starts with humility because the root of being unreasonable is pride. A prideful heart that says, I'm going to have my own way. What I want matters more. Guys, that's where it starts. It starts with humility. So now we're ready to look at verse six. The exhortation of verse six is this, don't be anxious. And in fact, let's actually start back in verse five because I think that the second half of verse five should actually go together with verse six. So second half of verse five says, the Lord is at hand. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So first of all, the Lord is at hand. I take this as a reference to God's presence in our lives. In other words, he's putting it this way. Because the Lord is at hand, because God is near, because God lives in you by the Holy Spirit, because God is always with you, don't be anxious. We need that context. He's not saying in a vacuum, don't be anxious about anything, but he's reminding us beforehand about the promise of his presence. He's saying, because God is with you, do not be anxious about anything. So now let's chat about that command for a while this morning. Do not be anxious about anything. You probably don't need me to tell you how big of a problem anxiety is in our world and in our hearts. Recent statistics show that about one in every five American adults has been diagnosed with some form of anxiety disorder. And those are just the people that have been diagnosed. I would say probably everybody in this room has worried about something this week. You've probably got a worry or two tucked in the back of your mind that you've thought about during this sermon. This is a massive problem in our lives and in our worlds. And the reason why Paul singles out anxiety when he's talking about peace is because there is nothing that so destroys peace in our hearts as anxiety and worry. Anxiety, I like to call it the attack of the what ifs. It's the barrage of what if thoughts that assault our minds. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this person does this? What if this person says this? What if I get this illness? What if I lose my job? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Anxiety is the mental equivalent of spinning tires in the mud. Our brains are hyperactive, but accomplishing absolutely nothing except making us more and more upset sometimes to the point of even being physically ill. Church, if we are going to have peace in our lives, we've got to learn how to deal with this. We've got to learn how to confront worry and anxiety and how to live with peace as followers of Jesus. Let me give a quick disclaimer this morning because I think that the church has often had something of a stigma around these sorts of issues. I do want to acknowledge that for some people, this kind of a struggle can have a biological or a physiological component And in these kinds of circumstances, I do think it is appropriate to see a doctor. And sometimes medication can be helpful. I do believe that. But listen, I also want to be quick to say that while this can have a biological or a physiological component, it always has a spiritual component. Always. In fact, I would go as far as to say, I know this isn't a popular thing to say, that this is a sin. It's a sin against God to worry. How do I know that? Because Jesus is Lord and Jesus said, don't do it. Like it doesn't take a PhD in biblical studies, guys. Jesus says, do not be anxious. And the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul, said the same thing in this text. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Guys, we are commanded by Jesus to learn how to live in freedom from this. But here's the good news. God's commands are also invitations. The command, do not be anxious about anything, is an invitation into something so much better, an invitation into a life of faith and joy and peace that he himself provides. The God who commands us to do this is the God who gives us the strength to carry it out and the freedom to live in joy. 
So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How can we enjoy this peace of God in our lives? So I want to ask two questions as we're talking about the peace of God that surpasses understanding. I want to ask and answer two questions with you this morning from this text. The first is this, what is the peace of God like? We're talking a lot about it, but, but first of all, what is it? What is the peace of God? I've defined it as a blessing from God that he gives to us in our hearts, but he's going to describe it in verse seven. So verse seven says this, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So first of all, the peace of God surpasses understanding. It surpasses understanding. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that it bypasses the understanding because as we'll see in a few minutes, right thinking is absolutely essential to overcoming worry and living with peace. But rather, I think it means this. It transcends our ability to comprehend. It's a peace that God gives that doesn't even make sense in the moment. And if you're a Christian, you know this, you've lived this. Because how many of you have had a situation or a trial or a temptation that was difficult and you've said something like, it doesn't even make sense how I'm calm right now. Normally I'd be a mess. Normally I'd be a wreck, but I feel this peace in my heart. I'm calm. I'm composed. What's going on? It's the peace of God that surpasses understanding. It's this gift that the Lord gives. I know this has happened in my own life many times. Even earlier this year, I can remember facing a difficult situation where at the time I didn't know how things were going to turn out, but I can almost remember, this is going to sound weird. I almost felt it physically. (laughs) like this peace just wash over me. And in that moment, I was able to say, as I'm praying, like, Lord, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but it really doesn't matter (laughs) because you're God, because you're good, because you're sovereign and whatever happens, I trust you. That's the peace of God that surpasses understanding. When we can just surrender and say, Lord, I trust you. That's incredible. And that's a blessing that comes from God. It's not something that we create. It's not something that we can manipulate or conjure up in ourselves. It is a blessing to be received by faith. So it surpasses the understanding, but next it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Now the word guard in the original language, it often referred to a military garrison that would be protecting a fortress So I want you to get this mental image of the peace of God that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's like an army, an army that is standing watch over your heart and over your mind to protect you from the assaults of the evil one. And I love this because again, I want to stress the nature of the peace of God, that it is a gift that comes from God. It's not something that we do. Here's the incredible thing. We don't protect God's peace in our hearts. God's peace protects us. We don't protect God's peace. God's peace protects us. Thinking that we protect God's peace, I'm borrowing this illustration from Doug Wilson, is like going into battle, thinking that we protect our helmet with our head. If we go into battle, someone for some reason is taking a swing at your helmet and you go, no, take my head instead. Like, no, that's ridiculous. We don't guard God's peace. God's peace guards us. And that shows how dependent we are on God. Because it's not even up to us. It's a gift that he gives. Yes, he gives us a process where he shows us how we can position ourselves to receive his peace. But at the end of the day, he's our savior. He's the one who gives this to us. So if that's what the peace of God is like, we now need to ask another really important question. How? How do we enjoy the peace of God? I've already said it's a gift, but he shows us here this process where we position ourselves to receive it. 
I think he gives us a three-step process here to enjoying God's peace. And by the way, while the sinful heart posture in this text is anxiety, I think that it has broader application to other sinful heart postures. In other words, what we're about to talk about, I think is also very helpful in dealing with anger in bitterness, in lust, in greed, in covetousness, whatever else. I think that this is a way to do battle with the sins of the heart that we're about to talk about, okay? So the first one we're going to spend the most time on because, frankly, it's probably the, the foundation of everything else, and that's pray. Step one, primary step here is pray. Look again with me at verse 6 of Philippians 4. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Wouldn't it be terrible if the verse ended there? Because we'd be like, thank you very much, Paul. Uh, I'll try my best. But it doesn't end there. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, instead of worrying, we pray. He uses three different words for prayer here to emphasize it. Prayer, supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And what kind of prayer? He says, with thanksgiving. Not just giving God the grocery list of our wants and needs, but coming with a thankful and a grateful heart, praising him for what he's done. And I know what you're thinking, because I know what I usually think when I read that. Okay, great, pray. But what's next? Right? That's too simple. I tried that. It didn't work. Prayer has got to be more than just pray, right? Well, one, cur- um, one cognitive neuroscientist wrote this, and this blew my mind. 12 minutes, just 12 minutes. 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change your brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. So if you don't believe the Bible, maybe you'll believe science because they're finally catching up and saying the same thing. Because prayer, it's not just this spiritual thing. It literally changes the way that your brain works, guys. That's how God wired us. That when we pray, he uses it in a powerful way. And here's the interesting thing to me. Worry and prayer are basically mirror opposites. They're almost the exact opposite. Because what are you doing when you're worrying? Well, basically you're praying to yourself, right? You're talking to yourself. You are replaying events and conversations in your mind in a loop. You're imagining these worst case scenarios and imaginary doomsdays like some sort of false prophet And then when they don't happen, you don't start to doubt your anxiety. You just come up with another one, like a game of whack-a-mole or something. That's what we do. We get caught in this endless loop of imagining all these terrible things that could happen. And then we try to manipulate our lives and circumstances to prevent these things from happening that wouldn't happen anyway. And it sounds ridiculous, but it's something that we all struggle with. But the antidote to that, the exact opposite of that, instead of trying to control our lives and circumstances, is to surrender control to the Lord. That's where prayer comes in. That's where prayer comes in. Because instead of trying to control the circumstance by our worrying, we're coming to the Lord and saying, I'm not in control, God. You are. And whatever you do is best. I trust you. That's what Peter tells us to do as well in 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Do you believe that? That he cares for you? That he loves you? That all of the burdens that you have, you were not meant to carry alone? And he wants you to bring them to him and to cast those burdens on him. It reminds me of the old hymn. 
What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And this is the key, second half. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Guys, this is where it comes. This is where the blessing comes when we pray because prayer is the language of faith. Prayer is a declaration that God is in control. I am not, and I can surrender my perceived illusion of control over this situation to the Lord. And again, you might be thinking, because I've thought this, I've done that already, didn't work, worried about something, prayed about it, still worried. I brought it to the throne of grace. I laid it at God's feet. I waited five minutes when God wasn't looking. I snuck back to the throne. I picked up my worry and I ran away. Anybody else? But listen, here's the deal. I can remember a couple of years ago, I was worried about a situation in my life, really anxious about something. And I was on the phone with Pastor David and he actually quoted Philippians 4 to me, these verses. And then on the phone, I'm agreeing and I'm saying the right things. But in my head, I'm like, come on, man. I need more than that. I mean, I've already prayed about it. I'm a Christian. So what's next? What's the real secret, the real trick here? And here's what I've learned. Guys, God can do more in five minutes of praying than he, you can do in a lifetime of worrying. God uses prayer in a powerful way. And when we start to think, I prayed about it, but nothing happened, keep in mind that God is not a vending machine. It's not like you pop in two prayer coins and pop, out comes a can of peace. No, this is about a relationship because prayer is the language of faith. It's the reflex where we're learning more and more through practice that when a circumstance or a situation comes up in our life that we're tempted to worry about, our reflex becomes bringing it to God, bringing it to the throne of grace, not worrying about it in our own hearts, trying to control it. So here's the deal. If this morning you are struggling with worry and anxiety and fear, there's one very important question. It's the first question to ask, how's your prayer life? Are you regularly and intentionally spending time with the Lord in prayer, getting alone with God? That is step one to enjoying God's peace, living in relationship with him and in fellowship with him. The second step of the process is to think, to think. You're like, I'm doing too much of that already. All right, a different kind of thinking. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He's saying instead of worrying about anything, we set our minds on things that are true, things that are honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. In other words, things that are consistent with the character and the word of God. And I love that. When he says think, he really means dwell, meditate, choose to intentionally and deeply think about these things. And I love this approach from Paul because he doesn't just say, stop worrying, because that doesn't work. Do you guys know that? It doesn't work. You can't choose to not think about something. It just, let me, let me, thought experiment. I'll prove it to you. Everyone in this room, listen to me. Do not think about an elephant. Don't. No, th- stop it. Do not think about an elephant. Do not picture an elephant in your mind right now. All right. Who thought about an elephant? The rest of y'all, we'll do a sermon on lying next week. It doesn't work to just say, I'm going to white knuckle it. I'm going to start worrying. I'm going to stop thinking about it. 
But you know what a more biblical and a more effective approach is? To replace it. To replace it. That's what Paul is teaching here. He's saying, instead of just saying, I'm not going to think about it anymore, he said, instead, think about things that are pure. Think about things that are lovely. Think about things that are true. Think about things that are just. And the best way to do that is to think about the things of the Lord. To think about the things that are in accordance with God's word. This is why we need to be daily reading the word. This is why we need to memorize the word, hide it in our hearts. This is why we need to meditate on the word. All that means is to deeply and intentionally think about what God's word says and how it applies to every area of our lives. And then we do that. We believe the promises of God's word. We believe. Can I tell you, I think a lot of the problems in our life would be solved if we just believed God it really is that simple. Guys, the Christian life is hard, but it's simple. <laughs> simple to understand, hard to execute. We would be so much less worried if we just believed what God said. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How? In believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That's where the joy and peace comes from. When we know what God has said and we believe it, when we cling to those promises by faith, the Holy Spirit uses that to create joy and peace and hope in our hearts. Here's one more important point here. How do we learn to think in a way that leads to peace? One way is by refusing to fill our minds with the things that are the opposite of Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is false, whatever is unjust, whatever is filthy, don't think about these things. He's telling us, don't fill our minds with these things. It's a simple truth here, guys. Garbage in, garbage out. Philippians 4a is an excellent litmus test for the things that we choose to fill our minds with. So can I move from preaching to meddling? Your Netflix account, your social media, the pages that you follow, the music that you listen to, is it true? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Are those things that will lead to God's peace in your mind or are you filling your mind with garbage? Because here's the deal. If we are filling our minds with the garbage that this world produces, we shouldn't be surprised if we're just as anxious and bitter and messed up as the rest of the world. Our lives are shaped by what we choose to fill our minds with, what we choose to meditate on. We ought to be so careful what we choose to fill our minds with, what we choose to think about. Because when we choose to fill our minds and our hearts with things that reflect the beauty and truth of God's word, the natural overflow of that will be peace. The last step in the process is this, practice. Philippians 4.9 says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. He's saying once you've prayed about it, you've given it to the Lord. Once you've chosen to set your mind on the things of the Lord, now you got to live it out. Now you got to practice. He says, imitate me, Philippian church, what you've heard and seen in me, practice these things. This means a lifestyle of obedience. It means it leads to action. The pathway to peace goes through obedience to God's will for our lives. And so here's the deal. I believe that when we're faithful to do this, when we pray, when we set our minds on the Lord, when we walk in obedience to the Lord, we will begin to experience God's peace. And I know that because it's how verse nine ends. It ends with the promise. Look at the last half of verse nine. When we do these things, 
and the God of peace will be with you. He's been talking about the peace of God. Now he's promising the presence of the God of peace. He's saying, as we do these things, as we pray, as we set our minds on the Lord, as we walk in obedience, the God of peace will be with you. That is the basis for not worrying, that God is with you. Church, if God is not with you, you ought to be very worried. This is a messed up world. If God is not with you, be anxious about everything. But if the Lord is at hand and the God of peace will be with you, what do you have to worry about? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the good news, the promise of his presence. So if you came in this morning up to your neck and anxiety about a particular situation, you're stressed, you're struggling, you're mentally, spiritually, emotionally just drained and exhausted, the God of peace is with you. He has promised his presence. Think about what he says to his people in Isaiah 41.10. Fear not. Why? For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is the promise that we have in Christ, church, that God is with us. The God of peace will be with you. So let me leave you with a few takeaways this morning. The first exhortation is this. Be at peace with God. Be at peace with God. If all of this stuff about enjoying God's peace and living in freedom from fear sounds nice to you, let me remind you of the beginning of the sermon that you can't enjoy the peace of God until you have peace with God. That only comes through Christ. That only comes through the gospel. It only comes from believing the good news that Jesus died for us, was risen for us, and turning from our sins and trusting in him. So this morning, if you want to talk and pray with someone, about how you can have peace with God, how you can be justified by faith. At this time, I'm gonna invite our prayer team forward. You can come and talk with one of them or pray with one of them during this last song or after the service. They'd love to talk and pray with you about how you can have peace with God. And by the way, I wanna give another plug for our prayer team. Guys, if you ever come and you have a prayer need on a Sunday morning, even especially in a sermon like this, where we've been talking about this, please come during this last song after the service. These guys love you and they're here during the service because they want to help bring those burdens to the throne of grace. So please come and pray if you have a need. Second takeaway is this, enjoy the peace of God. Enjoy the peace of God. This sermon is so well-timed. You know why? Because everything we've been talking about is worse this time of year. Do you know that? Do you, are you feeling that a little bit? You know, the American Psychological Association said that 38% of people are more stressed during the holidays. The National Association of Mental Illness said that 64%, that's over half, almost two-thirds, 64% of people suffering from a mental illness say their condition is worse during the holidays. Why? Like this time of year is supposed to be about peace and hope and joy and all these words that we're talking about, yet it's worse. How much more do we need this message right now? How much more do we need this peace of God that surpasses understanding? Because church, we live in a culture that is desperately searching for peace, but they're looking in all the wrong places. The only way to find peace is through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. That's where the peace comes from, through relationship with him. And as we've seen in this text, through fellowship with him. When we pray, spending time with him, when we think deeply about the things of God, when we walk in obedience to his word, are you enjoying the peace of God this morning? 
If not, what step do you need to take to more fully enjoy God's peace? As I've already said, how's your prayer life? Are you spending time with God regularly and intentionally? How's your thought life? Are you watching garbage and filling your mind with garbage that is filling your mind with all the things of this world? Or are you spending time in the word, saturating your mind in the word so that it renews your mind? What steps of obedience do you need to take? Remember, practice these things. What's a step of obedience God is calling you to take so that you can enjoy his peace? Final takeaway, and with this, I'm going to invite the band back up, and we'll close with singing. Let me encourage you for the rest of this month to worship the Prince of Peace. There's a lot of Christmas verses. You guys know what I'm talking about. There's verses that we kind of stick on the shelf, and we don't read them any other time of year, except they're there for Christmas. You, know, you got Luke 2 and some other ones, uh, but one of them is Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah 9, 6 is that verse that has the four titles for Jesus. And one of them is the Prince of Peace. That this baby who is to be born is the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ came into this world to bring peace on earth, to bring peace to a world that is broken by sin. What did the angels sing when he was born? They sang peace on earth. Jesus is the only one who can give us peace. He himself said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. That's the invitation this morning. Are you fearful? Are you stressed? Is your heart troubled this morning? Are you weary from the burden of sin and temptation in your life? Come to Jesus and find peace. He gives a peace that this world cannot give and cannot take away. Come to him this morning. Worship the Prince of Peace. Join in the song of the angels singing peace on earth. And live with the hope that one day when Jesus comes again, there's going to be true and everlasting peace on this world. That the whole universe will be filled with the shalom of God, never to be taken away. I hope your heart longs for that day as much as mine does. But until then, enjoy the peace that God gives. Enjoy the peace of God that surpasses understanding. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us, for your care for us, that you give us peace, Lord, that, that holds us when we're struggling, when we're broken, when we're fearful, that you're always there for us, Lord, that you're always near to us, that you are always with us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. God, would you help us to trust you? Lord, would you teach us how to let go of our perceived control over our lives and submit to you saying, Lord, you are God and I am not, and I trust you. Help us to do that, Father. Lord, we love you. Give us your peace this morning. Fill us with your shalom that we might honor you in every area of our lives. We love you, Lord, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and close with singing this morning.